0: Good morning, everybody. Um, this morning, this morning, I want to talk to you out of three verses out of the book of Genesis. I want to talk to you about Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And there is just so much stuff packed into here, and I pray that you will be encouraged. I pray that it will stir something inside of you by the time we're done this morning. Uh, God comes to Abram when he's 75 years old. Okay, that's old. And, um, and he introduces himself to Abram and he says, I'm El Shaddai. And then he makes this covenant. It's, it's a, it is a no-brainer covenant. God says to, to Abram, he says, if you'll honor me, if you trust me and obey me, he said, then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless every part of your life. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless you. And you're going to be a blessing in the earth. The whole world will be blessed because of you. If, if What do you think? You want to, Is that a good deal? And, 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 and I want to talk to you about Abram's response to this invitation today. Okay, That's where this talk will go. Let's go to Genesis 12. First three verses. The Lord had said to Abram. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and abram's response to these words are the very next, next verse it says and so abram went as the lord told him so abraham left just like the lord told him you see abraham his response and i don't know why god well i do know why god asked him to leave but the leaving's a very big big part of making room for God's blessing in his life. Abraham has to let go of everything that is familiar, but not just that. Everything that is hold on to Abraham has to be broken off in order to make room for what God is doing. And so God says, go. Abraham, in leaving, is leaving a human economy that is tied to tradition, that's tied to rationale and logic, And he is entering into a story where the impossible is easy. All of his life, Abraham lived according to the economy of his tradition, of his culture. He belonged to the land, the land didn't belong to him. His DNA was in the land, and the land was in him. And his father and his grandfather and his father before that, they worked this. We don't understand this so much because we buy and sell houses when we get itchy. But they didn't do that. His father's... Oh, by the way, did you know I, I found an interesting fact? It's entirely possible for Noah and Abram to have met. Their timelines actually do intersect. That is very cool. But the land belonged, he belonged to the land. It was part of their DNA. And speaking of DNA, his people were part of their, his DNA. I mean, these people, they married cousins and relatives and half-brothers. These were very strange times, okay? In fact, they encouraged it. They encouraged that, that, you know what, yeah, yeah you marry my brother-in-law's daughter and, and you, you the, because, because they kept it all in the family. Because it's better, it's better to be related to somebody and marry off my kids to somebody that I know than somebody I don't know, don't know. And so that's what he said, when you leave your father's household, you're leaving everything. Every relative that you have, and you have, they're all relatives, leaving the land that you, you're attached to. See, all of their safety and security was in living in the middle of a land that they knew in the middle of a people that they were, that they belonged to. And so why would you go It is the most asinine idea on the planet. Why would you go to a place where you don't know anybody? Do you see how ridiculous this is that God is asking him to do? Why would you go? You'd be completely vulnerable. But Abraham goes. He obeys the Lord. And when he leaves to follow the Lord... He breaks free from an economy of reason and rationale. No longer is he contained by what makes sense. No longer is he limited to what is humanly possible. And he enters into the economy of an other kingdom. That has a surplus that... Of power, a surplus of wonder, a surplus of surprise that, that outruns Abram's capacity to control and predict and to expect and to explain. You know how when God comes to you, he claims things for you that you cannot explain? Throughout the scripture, God claims many things he does not explain. And... He calls us to reach out in a thing we call faith. He's spoken things over your life, and they don't make any sense. He didn't explain the fine details. And and, and you're likely to reject them until you get an explanation. But this is the thing that he's inviting Abraham into, this, 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 this narrative, this story, where I'm going to tell you something, and I know you have absolutely no context for it. I'm going to claim something for you that I'm not going to explain And the only way you can access it is through faith. But first he has to let go of everything that's claimed him to this day. And so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And so I love this idea um, that, that, that God is calling him away from the things that He 's holding on to and away from the things that are holding on to him. And, 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 and is it possible that the way God is, is communicating, and I've, and I've spent some time with uh, Walter Bergman, who is this old Old Testament scholar, and most of his writings come out of the '70s, but he's way ahead of his time. When he said that, is it possible what God was saying to Abraham is, Abraham, can you imagine? Can you imagine what I just told you? Can you imagine? Knowing that Abraham has absolutely no context for what God has said. No context for its impact in the future. And so God says, listen, I'm going to show you some pictures on the canvas of your imagination. Turn your imagination towards me and let me do what I do. Can you imagine Your wife, who has been barren her entire life, getting pregnant. At this point in time, Abraham is 75. Can you imagine? Could you imagine holding uh, your your, your newborn son? Can you imagine? Could you imagine you being the father, not of a nation, but of many nations? Could you imagine that your great-grandchildren will sit as kings, in these nations, and they will rule these nations. Can you imagine? Could you imagine that because of your obedience, the entire world at some point in time will be utterly blessed? This is really important because God is not saying, Can you implement? He's not saying, Can you implement? He's not saying, Can you plan it? Can you achieve it? Can you put it into action? He's simply saying, can you entrust the possibilities to God that are beyond your capacity, that beyond your ability to control, to manufacture, to produce? Can you actually, and I think that God wants to hold us in this sacred place that says, can you imagine? And he invites you and I into this same incredible story. And a story that is not bound by by reason and rationale and limitations. So many times, even in the church, even as as a corporate body, we simply operate according to the economy of the kingdom of our culture. When God set us free from that to enter into a dynamic where the, the playground for possibilities actually reaches to the heaven and actually reaches through all eternity... And God says, I want you to play. And then He drops pictures into the canvas of your imagination. And He says, Can you imagine? But so often we apply logic and reason to those pictures and go, Well, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And God comes to Sarah. She's 90, Isaac is 100. And they gave birth to, I, I'm sorry, Sarah is 90, Abraham is 100, and they gave birth to Isaac, and it's the most unreasonable thing you've ever experienced. And his birth defies explanation because Isaac is a kingdom promise. Let me ask you something. Are you pregnant with a kingdom promise? It's not going to be reasonable. It's not going to make sense. It's not actually even attainable. Are you pregnant? God claims more for Abraham than he explains, he claims more for Sarah than he even explains. And so they reached out by faith. And when they reached out by faith, the Bible says, And Abraham believed, and God called him righteous because of it. You know, I'm going to tell you a few stories. They're really beautiful stories, but your story is very beautiful. And God's inviting you into a story. And I, I don't want you necessarily, I'm not enticing you to be part of my story or this story. That's not the purpose of this. My purpose is for, to inspire you, that, that, to, to awaken to the story that he's inviting you into and, and, and then dare to, dare to believe. Okay, that's why I'm telling you these stories. About 11 years ago, um, God invited Pastor Chad into a story. He was at Evangel, pastoring the young adult community there. And by the way, um, these are not, this is not Chad's story and whatever story I attach my name to. It's not my story. This is God's story, okay? This is his doing, because there's no way. Uh, any of these stories actually play out unless many of us get tuned into that channel and say, that's part of my story. And you then partner with somebody and your destiny and their destiny is connected and you end up both enjoying something really supernatural, something really incredible, okay? But God invites Chad into a story because he's a leader. And Pastor Will and Irv and Evangel, they looked at this thing and they said, this is good. This has got God's signature all over it. And so they, they began to dream a dream about, about establishing a ministry close to the campus that would have actually have an impact on what at that time was 1,700 students, which is now close to 10,000 students. And so the vision was to, missional, right? And um, in, in, in the process of all these things, uh, God comes to Chad, and he has a very unique gift He's a, he's a cultural architect, and I've kind of tracked with Chad over the years before we even started working together here, and, and, and he's crazy <laughs> because he doesn't think normal. He, 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 he was at church in Kamloops and they were having a youth conference and it was in the middle of winter and he decided to take bobcats and, and dump trucks full of sand and he filled the entire gym with sand so they could actually have a beach day in the middle of the winter. I, I, he, I've been to virtually every church that he has pastored except for Broadway and I watched him take useless traditional space. And 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 for the youth that he was working with, turn it into something that was relevant and cultural and beautiful, and and you wanted to be there. I watched him do that. And so God was preparing him long before the house ever came onto the onto the radar. And Chad was telling me that I wasn't here at the time because uh, about thirty of you in here who started. This journey, um, this place was a, a, a shell, just a warehouse. And Chad came in with a bunch, and they were praying, and 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 um, Chad was saying that his imagination was going off, like. W- like Charlie in the chocolate factory. He said it was just like unbelievable. It was going off in 3D. And 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 he walked in here and he could see, he could feel that coffee bar, the baristas, the buzz, the noise, and, and he could feel that student lounge. He actually even saw some of this going on. And he knew that we'd have more electronics and technology in this wing of the building than any church in Kelowna. Maybe all the churches in Kelowna put together but he could see it. And so could the other 30. And they held it. And the thing is, this is the tricky part. God just says, can you imagine? And there is a time to just gestate. Is that a word? Yeah, just just let the baby grow. There is a time to just be pregnant and feed the thing. Paul called it stirring it up. And you get around the right people and you stir it up and you stir it up. It doesn't make any sense. It's a warehouse. Where will they park? If they actually even find it, where will they park? It's the worst place on the planet for a church. It doesn't make any sense. That's because it was kingdom birthed. And they began to pray. And I came and I remember we were writing, declaring things on the drywall in pencil. Uh, underneath all of that paint, there is de- declarations and prophetic imagination that was going off all over the place. I promise you this, that every one of these lights was imagined by either Chad or Ryan before it was ever seen by you or I. It was all imagined. Because the kingdom of God begins There. The kingdom of God, God is breathing constantly into your imagination. He's constantly working there. And then God invited me into the story in a very different way, but a very similar way. I was in Calgary. I had taken a a break from full-time ministry in 2000. A little bit burnt out, a little bit frustrated with the church. Um, And so I worked as a high school counselor. And in 2005, I got a, a Trinity Western University contacted me and said, would you consider being a chaplain here? Would you please submit a resume? And so over the weeks that it took to get my resume together, I just began to dream about this thing. And this whole idea of working with university students now is very cool. Because up until 2007, I had worked primarily with high school students, okay, and they are a tough breed, like really seriously. T- I got, they're, 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 I don't know uh, how we. Uh, they, they kill their wounded. They eat their dead. They, they, they no, leave no survivors. Like you know what? And, and I and I thought so, so. Trinity Western came and 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 I began to dream about my. wife. We went to Langley and we drove around. We looked for a place and all that. And at the at very end of the whole process, it seemed stupid because my kids finally drew a line and said, listen, why don't you wait till we're out of high school, which is another two years, and then you can go anywhere you want. Just let us finish high school in Calvary. And so I withdrew my application and everything like that. So that actual opportunity died. But what I didn't realize until I looked in hindsight, you know what didn't die? The idea of working with university students. That, the Holy Spirit, was working in me. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when Pastor Will and Pastor Irv called from Evangel and said, We have an idea. How'd you like to work with Chad? How'd you like to lean into this community over here of what will be 10,000 students? How would you like to work with university students? Bang! I'm t- I didn't even have to see. I didn't have to, I didn't have to know anything. All I know is I was alive and well, and I realized that I had simply touched yet again this incredible story that he's inviting me into. And the decision was very simple because I could see it in my soul. I'll tell you one more part of this story, and then I'll leave this one alone. See, it's kind of easy to talk about this because there's a lot of butts in these seats. But I promise you, there's three years, and man, we we could have met in my living room. You know, like it would have been, you know, just easier. I was in Calgary um, in the springtime. Uh, My wife, um, as you know, works for WestJet. And so whenever they have some of these big conferences, they're allowed to bring their spouses. And so I came to this conference. We were in the big four building in Calgary. And it's virtually just this enormous floor... And they can partition it off, and they have a stage, and there's about a thousand, maybe eleven hundred West jetters in this one-day conference. And I got in there and just I, I knew some of the speakers and I wanted to hear them and everything like that. I got into the space, we got seated, and all of a sudden, my imagination. Now I have a great imagination. It is it is live and well, and I'm sitting in this room. I just got to be careful what I pointed at, <laughs> which is true for all of our imaginations. You got to pe- be careful where you point that thing at, because everything you point at will begin as a thought and then grow into becoming an image and eventually grow to become a stronghold in your life, right? So I'm, I'm in this in the big four building. And I'm looking at the way that they set chairs up and the, the, the amount of dynamic and how actually comfortable about 1,000 people felt. And the entire time that I was there for that day, all I could think about, we could do that. It could still feel amazing at 1,000 people. It could still be personal and authentic and real. And I began to think about it. So I came back and I said to Chad, okay, what, is, what are you seeing here? What is, where are we going? What is the number? And he just, he said, Right off the bat, he goes, I don't know. I don't know why I see a 1,000. And I said, so can I. This is the thing. When you put your faith to something, you can't unsee what you've seen. So you might as well just get in. You might as well just join your faith because is, re- is it reasonable? No. Do we have the money? No. Is it time? No. But can you imagine? Yes. And the father comes to me and says, can you Imagine. You see, you will never achieve the impossible until you can see the invisible. And if your eyes are stuck on that which is reasonable and logical, I promise you, 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 you have actually disqualified yourself from a really great story. I believe God wants us to hold us in this place of can you imagine because it's a place of hope. And then God, so he says, to, it's just a figurative speaking. He says, can you imagine? You know what Abraham's response is? Yes, but. He says, yes, but. Yes, but the girl's old. Yes, but I'm old. Yes, but she is barren. Yes, but it doesn't make any sense. We've passed our time. We've lost our window. Let me tell you this. If yes, but governs your life, you will resist God's newness. He wants to do a new thing in you. He wants to do a new thing in you. And you keep going. you you got one foot in one economy, one foot in the other economy. The, the, you, the foot you have in the economy of the kingdom of God says yes, but you're so locked into this other foot in the way that things function naturally normally that you go... It's your big yes, but that is actually getting in the way. That's funny. Don't you think that? That's, 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 it's good. I didn't see anything wrong, but you think I did, right? It's your big yes, but that's getting in the way. Yes, but I actually got fired in my last job. Yes, but we lost so much money the last time. Yes, but I, I, I took a leap of faith, and, 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 and it just it was a mess. Yes, but I failed in my last relationship. Yes, but I suck as a dad or a mom. See, there's a future waiting for you. But you need to be so careful that your past does not steal your future. So many of us are living lives trapped by our past. Because we cannot take our imagination off of the epic failure of our past, the crippling loss of our past, the words that were spoken over us, the words that were spoken over us and told to us that that, that we really will never amount to anything. Your present imagination right now, I submit to you, is a womb or a tomb. It's a womb or a tomb. This present moment is either a womb for your future or a grave where it dies. And until you can let go of your big yes but, it will die. God says in Jeremiah 29, he knows these people have been beat up. He knows they have lost everything. And he even knows their present circumstances are difficult. But he says, I have for you a hope and a future. I have for you a hope and a future. Are you discerning enough to know what the future feels like when... God drops it into your soul when he drops it onto the canvas of your imagination. Do you know what that feels like? It feels like hope. It feels like hope. It's important to know when 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 those things come to us because when you know what the future feels like, you can move towards it. And the future comes to us in the present, but our present is often so crowded. Our present is so busy, so noisy, that we miss it. We get so caught up in the moment. And the future is not going to be birthed in you tomorrow. I don't know what you're waiting for. It is not going to be birthed in you tomorrow. It is going to be birthed in you today. So if you don't know your future and what it feels like, you won't be able to protect it. You won't be able to, to, to protect what's being born inside of you. You don't know how to stir it up. I, I love this. You know, um, uh, can you imagine is like this? It's, it, I got this picture. Can you imagine is like taking your heart and throwing it into the future and saying, wait, I'm coming. I'll be there. It's throwing it 10 years into the future and say, wait. Yeah, we'll fill that building too. Just wait. It's throwing into the future and saying your marriage conferences, going off the charts, say, You wait there for us. We'll be there. We'll be there. We're working on it. That's what, he, that, that, that's what we do when we say, We can imagine, Lord. That's what we do. God was trying to talk to me when I was a kid. But, I, you know, when you're a kid and you're going through your teens, your hormones and your, oh, it's a mess. And um, I'd had a number of prophecies in the space of one or two years saying to me when I was like 14 and 15 years old. Um, and I was a Baptist, so we, we rarely swam in Pentecostal waters, but every now and then we'd go there and then inevitably somebody would walk up to me or one time i think i've told you this my mom and i went to these charismatic meetings okay and um they were on a wednesday so we're thinking who would know we're there right and so we went to these meetings and we hit about three quarters to the back and the worship is amazing we'd never seen drums on the stage before we we'd never seen people move in church and i was whoa you know like that is right out there and the pastor comes after after the second song in the worship service, and he gets everybody to sit down. And then he he he's looking, he's doing something. I don't know what he's doing, he's tuning into something. And then and then he goes, You, and he points to my mom. Crap! How do they know we are Baptists? They can they can smell us. They can sense it. We give off our own scent. That's just, oh. And he says, could you stand up? And, and is that your son? And I'm, I'm freaking out. They burn people like us in those churches, you know? And and, 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 I, and, and when I'm standing there, my mom and I are just like, we, we've never even actually stood up in church before. And so we, we are really out of our comfort zone. And then he puts us in. He says, your son is going to preach. He's set apart. He's going to preach. And he goes on and Sit down. Thank God. You know what? I, <laughs> and just saying, everybody's saying. Just, just we want to be invisible for a little while now. I just, and then uh, off and on over the next couple of years. But you want to know the reason I couldn't? I, I I couldn't bite. The reason that those things didn't really impact me at that time, is because that I my failures my my early failures through school and just all of that had told me that i actually do not have the capacity or the intelligence to pull off what that guy said about me i knew that that was impossible and that's how you kill the kingdom of god when it comes into your soul you go yes but or even worse you go but and i just went but that's not going to happen and so that whole thing went to sleep for a lot of time. Do you remember when, when, when Paul is talking to Timothy, and this is in 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 1, chapter 6. He says, um, Timothy, uh, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which was in you through the laying on of my hands. He said, for God has not given you spirit of fear, but of power and love and a, and a disciplined mind. You see, Timothy was a very young man who was called to pastor a very large church. It was so far over his head. He, he, and, 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 and Paul knows that he feels completely unqualified. And so Paul says, Timothy, God gave something, and it is inside of you. And that thing that is inside of you, that thing that's inside of you, is real. That is you. Trust it, lean into it. Can you imagine? You see, we all have the power. You said you've been given a disciplined mind. See, you all have the power to focus your imagination wherever you want. And you can focus it on your failures. And you can focus it on your scarcity. And you can focus it on the things that have gone wrong. Or you can dare to focus it on what might be impossible, but feels like it's got hope written all over it. Okay, I'm almost done. In fact, I'm going to invite the band up. That's how almost done I am. So 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, pretty, pretty hopeless years. Um, And then one day I heard that there was a guy from the United States, Rich Wilkerson, He was a minister, and he was coming to speak in a high school, and I thought, i got to see this. Number one, I was terrified for the guy because no minister I'd ever known would even survive five minutes in a secular high school because like, you have to be relevant and funny and sexy and all those things, and I didn't know one of those. And so I was just looking forward to seeing if that thing even existed. And I, I remember I, I got there and I was still in my painting clothes because I, I, I was a painter and I didn't want to change because <laughs> I was 20 and you don't need to bathe or change when you're 20. And so I, I went there and they give you this, this, this visitor badge and I'm not sure why it was so big, but it sure makes you feel like an idiot. You know what? I think it's so you don't molest anyone while you're in the school. And, and I remember standing in the back there and I got paint on my hands and I got paint clothes on and the kids pile in. And with every kid that came into that auditorium, I got more nervous and more nervous and more nervous. And I don't even know why I'm so, I'm just nervous for the poor guy that's got to speak. And they introduced to him, do you, any, any of you guys that were around for that, you know, you, he was so cool. This was the late 70s, early 80s, and he had a white Afro. Like, it was Starsky Hutch, man. It was, it was, it was very cool. And he came out, and I don't know if he actually just blew his voice out, but he talked. Really cool. And, uh, and he came out and he was funny and engaging and relevant. He talked about sex. He talked about choice. Talked about responsibility and relationship. And when he was done, the place went crazy. And, 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 and I didn't realize the whole time I'm listening to this guy talk, I'm not sure when, when they started, but they, they just flowed. Tears just flowed. Just flowed. And I just was mesmerized by what I had seen. I was wrecked for days and days and days, and I didn't know why. But I realize now that when I look back at that moment, I had touched my own destiny. God had given me a living picture of the story he was inviting me into. And I, I began to imagine, as a painter, uh, an apprenticeship, my, my apprenticeship, They gave me 300 townhouses and a garage full of paint. And they said, just roll these walls. Just prime them. They didn't give me a brush. I have 300 townhouses to imagine. And you know what you do? You imagine. And God holds you in that place where you imagine. And then something incredible happens to the vision. You know what happens to it? It actually moves from an idea to the canvas of your imagination where it takes on dimension and it moves from dimension to the place where it's breathing and then you can actually, you see, you you hear yourself, you're dreaming it, you're thinking it and it gets so big that you have to do something and I spoke at every little thing that anybody desperately needed someone to speak at and so the kingdom of God that began in me was now outside of me and I'm in it and a principle at a I ran a little club at Diefenbaker High School, and he was the sponsor. He was a Mormon, but he liked me. And he, I did a talk for the kids in this, maybe 20 kids in a room, and he said, Ed, my school needs to hear that talk. Could you maybe make it a little longer, add some material to it? But he said, that talk. And I said, I'm a painter. You know that. We don't. I, I'm a house painter, and I just tell stories. He says, it's up to you. And that day I took a quantum leap of faith I went up in front of the 1500 students at John D. F. Baker High School and I say hey everybody I'm Ed I'm a painter and I tell stories I, I don't know I hope this helps and I told my story and God blessed that story his presence was on that story And the place came unglued when I was done. And they lined up to talk to the painter who tells stories. And he blessed that story. And that story and other stories, and I began, I told that story in every high school in Calgary, and then I started telling it in schools right across the country. And he blessed that story, so that story took me to Germany, and to Switzerland, and to France, and then it took me to, to, to all over Asia and Hong Kong. 15 years. But that was the catalyst. That was the key. At one point in time, the kingdom of God gets so big inside of you. You can't help it. You step out. And there are other people that came alongside of that story. And you can't do it alone. And God was amazing. You see, Abraham is not only one for whom God did some staggering things. He's an invitation to believe in the impossible if God can give a baby, he can give anything. If God can work that kind of new life in an old man and an old woman, he can work new life in wherever you are today. So God drops a picture inside of you, a dream inside of you. If you can let go of the yes, but if you can let go of your past, if you can hold on to one word, one picture, one breath that comes from God, I promise you something remarkable happened. You, in, you, you, you are invited into a story that's much bigger than you are. And so I submit to you that Abraham is daring us to imagine. Daring us to claim more than we can explain. And daring to us to stir the gift that is inside of us. Let's pray. I'm pretty aware that there are some of you in here, and the dream that God has given you went to sleep. Because He said that that nothing's happening. I don't have the capacity to pull that off. I don't, I'm not enough. And I pray that today that you, the Spirit of God, would bring new light to your dream, to your story. To say, you know what? It's not about you anyway. It's my story. And I'm simply inviting you into it. And if I can give new life to a baby, and if I can give a baby to to a 100-year-old, 90-year-old, don't you think I can birth in you something that's impossible? Open our faith this morning. We invite you to go ahead. You're the master architect. Do the work. Show us the pictures. Direct our thoughts. Open our eyes to see. You said set your eyes on the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. And so, Father, we we pray that even now that I want to just speak life into the the dry bones of some of the, the, the kingdom dreams that you've placed in your people. I want to speak life, Father, into those things that have gone to sleep and pray, God, that you would breathe on them and bring them to life and renew them and energize them with your spirit. In Jesus' name.